0: Hello friends, how are you doing? It's Matt, you listen to episode 63 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. It's the show where I try and uncover the most interesting stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thank you for listening to it. Hope you enjoy it. Now, I've got to say, I've very much enjoyed this one. It's a really common question that I receive these days. What's your favourite episode? Which is obviously impossible to answer because there's been so many different experiences and personalities and you know as cheesy as it sounds I really do feel privileged every time somebody decides to come on the show and share their story with me but what I'm really hoping for when I do these conversations is the type of chat that takes on a life of its own and progresses to places that you couldn't possibly predict beforehand I mean you can do some planning and try and predict the topics and the twists and the turns you'd like the conversation to take but yeah you you're really hoping for the type of uh chat that I think everybody can recognize. The fabled chat in the pub, one that takes on a life of its own, in which the point becomes the pure pleasure of conversation itself. And another common question I get on that front is how much prep do you do? Now, obviously, I try and make sure I'm as clued up as possible on the interviewee's career, but as the podcast has progressed and I've begun to trust myself a little bit more as an interviewer, something that I really didn't at the beginning, I've really scaled back the amount of forensic preparation I've done for each episode, which was a very good job in this case, because this one with the explorer at Mountaineer and climber Leo Holding came about completely by accident. I was at the Kendall festival. I saw that Leo was on the bill showing his new film Spectre. And on the off chance, I thought I'd see if he was up for it. So I lobbed him a quick email, kind of forgot about it to be honest, until we bumped into each other on the Sunday morning He only had a couple of hours, so he agreed to do it there and then. Um, Given that lack of prep, I was a little bit daunted, but I decided to just go with it anyway. And I'm really glad I did, because as I discovered and to get to the point, Leo Holden is a great conversationalist. He's completely open and honest. And the result is that this chat is a completely transparent insight into the realities of life as a modern explorer and adventurer, which is what he is. I'm going to say there's a bit of swearing in this one because we got quite into it and that involved swearing. So might be earmuffs time if you're listening to it with the kids. Anyway, Leo, like I say, was in town to promote his new film Spectre, which saw him and his companions Mark Seddon and John Bergen dropped off at 88 degrees south, snow kite slash kite ski their way to the Transantarctic mountains. Once there, they put a route up Spectre The mountain that had been the uh, impetus behind the whole thing before kiting, uh, you know, down the Scott Glacier to the Ross Ice Shelf, back towards the South Pole and their drop off point. Absolutely epic mission, basically. So on the surface, that's what we talked about. But what I realised quite quickly is what Leo is doing is marrying the scale and ambition of traditional exploration with a modern action sports sensibility. 21st century exploration, as he puts it. Now, when I say traditional exploration, I mean that kind of man-hauling your pulk, hardship-driven approach where struggle has traditionally been venerated for its own sake, especially in the kind of mythology of it from the British perspective. I mean, after all, if you're going to be the first person to cross the Antarctic continent, as two people, Lou Rudd and Colin O'Brady, are trying to do right now, Is the point the distance? Is it the journey? Should hardship be an inherent part of that? If you do announce that you're going to try and cross Antarctica on skis, manhole and your supplies as those two are, you're taking your place at the end of a very clear line that begins with Shackleton and Scott. If you announce like Leo did that you're going to kite ski across Antarctica, you're basically announcing that you're purposely stepping away from that. Um, heritage and attempting something completely new. And when you think about it, that approach is a very obvious innovation. And it also raises some interesting questions and some ethical issues about the whole business of polar exploration. And what you might term traditional adventure in the 21st century, which is something that we discussed and which I found pretty fascinating to be honest for Leo. His approach is super new school and super progressive, as he puts it, and it makes him something of an innovator, and outlier in this field, which we discuss at length. There are some fascinating insights into the logistical and financial realities of that and how it can be a very scary place indeed to back yourself to the level required to get a project like this off the ground. Like I say, very much enjoyed this one. Previously met Leo a couple of times, many, many moons ago. Once in Sheffield back in the mid-90s when I was about 20 and I think he was about 16. And then again in Chamonix around the year 2000 when we were both doing seasons there. It's fair to say that when we met again this year, we did hit it off. And that's why I've gone for another blatant podcast trope, which is dropping us in halfway through the conversation. It's not something that I do that regularly, but I decided to do it here because... um, it seemed to set the tone really well for the conversation that followed. So that's what I did. Some great lines in this from somebody who gives great copy, as the saying goes. And there's also a really uh, great exploration of what is becoming one of the, the key overarching themes of the Looking Sideways podcast. The relativity of risk as a concept and how athletes and adventurers of Leo's stature justify risk. In the face of the danger, they voluntarily place themselves in and the wider arc of encroaching maturity. And can't we all identify with that, eh? So here it is: me and Leo holding on Spectre. Enjoy.
1: Do you live in the Do you live in Chamonix? Or?
0: No, I've done. I did like a lot of seasons in Chamonix. I did well. I did like. Um, I did like ten seasons basically. Like traveling when I ran the mag. And these days, I live in Brighton now, and I just travel, Like I just, I still travel, I still ride like probably six weeks a season or whatever. Um, Find the snow, chase the snow. Yeah, like wherever it's good, you know what I mean? Like I had a good trip to Canada last season. I had a great trip to Sham actually, with Stenty when the snow was really good. Um, yeah, but like whatever. I'll get a bit old for seasons now, innit? Yeah.
1: And the problem is on the season, like, if it's a good season, great, if it's not, it's nice to be able to go to where the snow is, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Rather yeah, than yeah. having to wait. But I miss it, man. I, I'd happily live somewhere where you could ski 100 days a year. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know why I haven't based my life out of. Not Maybe not Chamonix. Well, that's why. Maybe not Chamonix. Chamonix is a bit of a weird place, isn't yeah,
0: it? Yeah. I, I, I have a bit of a love hate relationship with it, really. Me too, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like And, and even the back there is good. Great, yeah. Yeah. And even when I was there this winter and we had, so we had that like massive storm in January and, I, and we went up the tour. And we did like the the back chair was shut, so everyone was just lapping the like the to the valley lift. And you know you forget what it's like, like literally on that on fighting, that, like fighting, like on the traverse. I was a bit like fucking hell. I forgot what it, you know. So we just ended up going to La Contamine after that because there's just no one there is there. And I was a bit like, yeah, I kind of remember why Chamonix is a bit of a weird one. You can have the best day ever, or you can have a day. This like that. season,
1: man, if you uh, if you got your legs on. The, the top lifts close at the the Gran Monte right there. Yeah. So it's that's going to be rinsable. Yeah. If you're, if you're willing to walk. Yeah. Imagine yeah. what it's going to be like there this year. Yeah. It'll be amazing. If there's some snow. It'll be well, totally amazing. You'll have the whole of the Monte. Yeah. It'll be like being the pistas, you know, the yeah, bastards. Yeah. You know, when you go, and they yeah. finally open it, and there's like those ten you, tracks. Yeah. You, you, <laughs> you're
0: like first in or whatever. On yeah. That you'll lift. have
1: to walkaways, but the yeah. Uh, it'll there's some that front side on good snow is just amazing. It's right brilliant.
0: There. Yeah. But
1: it gets rinsed within the morning. Yeah. I've seen it go, I'm sure you have many times, from like half a meter of pow yeah. to a mogul field. Yeah, yeah. Well, then, like way before the end of the day.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, have you seen Blizzard of Ours recently? No. Do you, the Greg Stump film? Have you the, seen it?
1: Not, you know, not the original one. The, yeah, the original the one, Blizzard yeah.
0: of Oz. I haven't seen it for years. Yeah, well, I watched it again recently and there's a shot of Lavonche in that and it's fucking hilarious because it's before Boshard was obviously put in and he's like, you can ski untracked powder like three to four days after a storm. <laughs> like I do not anymore you can't <laughs> three, to three four three, minutes yeah exactly three to four hours yeah yeah dressed, yeah i'm with leo how you doing i'm good i'm a bit hungover yeah me too actually i was just saying it's the first piss up i've had in five months which was uh i was like it's quite a laugh this yeah good to get back on it yeah, yeah. what are you up to you picked a good occasion there yeah. was a
1: party here at the kennel martin festival a little bit closer maybe um on both Friday and Saturday nights, so I've, I've double hit it pretty hard on both nights.
0: You went, you went in for both.
1: Yeah, heavily. Right. I think I'll have been last man standing. Really? Yeah. That's a good effort. It's, do you know what the first prize for last man standing is? What's that? Worst hangover. <laughs> <laughs> so are you bearing up? I'm all right, actually. All things considered, um, you know, yeah. we wrapped it at like half four this morning, but there was a proper techno party. Uh, yeah. at the uh, At Ruskin's bar last night. It was the. It was the. I've been coming here for. Well, like all of them pretty much yeah like i don't know 19 years or something yeah and uh last night was the best party of any of them so
0: really <laughs> yeah right so you were showing your film obviously which i couldn't get into the hottest well is that and free solo has been like the two big films of the weekend hasn't it uh i don't
1: really know i mean there's obviously a load of films here the free solo is a big film dawn wall, it's dawn a big wall one. of course but um yeah the spectre expedition in the film it was really last minute
0: yeah, yeah, you the, only got uh, it finished on Friday. Yeah, the edit,
1: the, f- the film, the final export finished at 1 p.m. on right. Friday afternoon, and the world premiere, which sold out weeks in advance, was at 7 p.m.
0: Quite a punchy deadline.
1: Yeah, yeah, but we hit it, and, uh, yeah. and it's a nice film. So I'm yeah, pretty sure you're proud of, of it.
0: it. Yeah, yeah, because you did you did the presentation at the RGS recently as well, right? So th- so. Maybe it'll help if you talk through it quickly so that people can get the gist.
1: The Spectre Expedition was this trip that I did exactly a year ago. In a nutshell, we kite skied for a thousand miles across Antarctica and climbed what is, hands down, the most remote mountain on the face of the earth.
0: In the Trans-Antarctic Range.
1: Trans-Antarctic Mountains. It's a mountain called the Spectre. Um, It's actually called the Spectre on the map. And it's a gem of a mountain. It's it's a bit like the Drew, but yeah. even more impressive. It's a big, pointy granite spire. Right. 720-meter main face on it, and it's like at the end of the earth.
0: Yeah. Um, when did you first hear about that?
1: First heard about the Spectre in about 2011.
0: Because um, it can't be that many people that have been there or like there's maybe been 10 people
1: ever yeah or that it can't there. be like
0: exactly like a lot of intel on that really
1: no um, but there was a book came out called Mountaineering in Antarctica by a guy called Damien Gilder uh, and there's a photo of it in that there's one photo of it right um, and he did this really cool book about Maintaining in Antarctica, the whole history of it. Antarctica is yeah. a continent, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's a huge place. Well, it's, it's a like, landmass, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a continent. It's the same size, approximately, as North America. Yeah. So people think of the South Pole or they think about the penguins, but what they neglect to remember is it's a fucking continent. You know? Yeah. It's a big place. So, um, and
0: massive obvious statement but massive yeah explored. it's massive
1: and, but there's nothing there you know like on the interior there's almost nothing there yeah. um, but then there's this one big mountain range called the Transantarctic Mountains which is one of the world's great ranges it's yeah. four times the size of the Alps um, it's like the Rockies, you know, it goes for 2,000 miles across Antarctica. Yeah. And nobody ever goes there because it's so expensive and difficult to get to. There's never been a private climbing expedition into that region. The only climbing that's ever taken place there have been government-backed geological expeditions that cost millions of dollars. Sure. So we came in with kites, long distance um, trip, 1,000 miles with 200 kilos, climbed a hard route on this big mountain and then came back again.
0: It was super hardcore. <laughs> so where on earth did you... Did you come up with the I mean, was that practical, the kiting? It's the only way to do it unless you're a multimillionaire. That's what I mean. So you were like, well, well that's what we've got to do. Yeah. Basically. Yeah.
1: So I went to Antarctica for the first time in 2012 and we climbed this other big pointy granite fang called Ulvatana. Yeah. Which is the Norwegian word for the wolf's fang. Yeah. And that is probably the coolest mountain in the world. It's right. it's uh, it's only 3,000 meters tall, but the last 1,200 meters is straight vertical. It just looks like a wolf's fang sticking up out of the ice cap. It's unbelievably spectacular. It's, yeah. You know, if it was in the Alps, it would be the most famous mountain in the Alps, right. hands
0: down. So for you, this is the appeal.
1: So yeah, for sure. I mean, I like th- th- those aesthetics mean a lot to me. It's not because it's pretty. It's because you know, you don't have to be a climber to spot the line of the Northeast Ridge of Vatana sure. that we did the first ascent of. It's a mile, 1,750 meters of hard, big wall rock climbing yeah. in Antarctica, and at one point that ridge. Is less than a meter wide. Right. So for like, I'm telling you, dude, it's off the hook. But it's like <laughs> there's this sidewalk. It, 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 this the spine of the mountain. You're about 2,000 feet up on both sides. It's about two and a half feet wide, 45 degrees for 500 foot. Yeah. You cannot imagine how amazing that is. I was right. the first person ever to go up it, and uh, and that was in 2012. So we did this big trip there, like wall style. So we had loads of stuff, literally a ton and a half of equipment. Um, we fixed a lot of rope, we spent like 15 days on the wall, got to the top, and although that is undoubtedly a remote place, you know, it's 3,000 miles away from the hospital, you're actually only an hour away from the main logistics hub for the whole side of eastern Antarctica, a place called Novo Lazarusky, a Russian science base. Right. It just so happens that, you know, like the main airport, the main place, the main town is, is right there, and there's, they have... Ski-equipped aircraft station there. Yeah. So if shit goes down, when you're on the wall, it's going to be a problem. But in base camp, you're actually not as far away as you might think you are. Right. You're an hour away. Yeah. So in one way, it's kind of roadside.
2: Yeah. You know? And you can For bring a lot of stuff. Yeah.
1: Whereas this other mountain is more than a thousand kilometers away from the closest logistics hub. Yeah. Which means you can't do it in one flight. You have to do a fuel flight to get to an otter from Union Glacier to Spectre at least one fuel flight which means you you, know, you fly a plane full of fuel barrels sure. to its point of no return the maximum range the plane can fly to without refuel yeah. they drop off the barrels they come back, they refuel
2: yeah, so they it becomes it.
1: exponentially expensive yeah. so okay. it's like that's the only way you can get that far and it means when you're deep after you've kited in if something goes down it could take a week yeah. for them to get to you yeah, yeah. and to be a week away from help anywhere on earth is pretty unusual you know to pretty
0: <laughs> rare these days yeah so is that also part of the appeal because it cause obviously a, a pretty obvious statement but it's clearly a lot harder to find firsts of the type that you're describing these days you know like and there's actually quite a few expeditions at the minute happening in antarctica aren't there there's like a couple of guys trying to do the trans-antarctic solo unsupported thing
1: <sighs> like the polar scene i'm a new bit to little, it little i, I, I want you know it, it's a different world like so it's all about where you are relative to where the support is coming from. So this trans-Antarctic thing, which everyone's gunning for, that Henry died doing a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of cool. It's a thing now, right? Because Henry died, and then Ben didn't do it last year. And, and it's the
0: anniversary as well, right?
1: Yeah, and it's the anniversary. And, uh, um, you know, good, good on him, Like, and I wish him well. But essentially, you just walk for a month or two, um, and you're not, again, the... Um, and when you start at Berkner Island, it's a little bit different, but the logistic infrastructure that ALE have down there uh, is geared around certain lines to the pole, so it's kind of not as gnarly as it looks. The normal route to the pole, the normal uh, full-length pole from Hercules Inlet to the South Pole, is at 1,100 kilometers, and it's along the flight line from UG to pole, so yeah. you know they can drop. It's it's, it's those planes coming past within an hour almost daily. Yeah. Again, and then there's like, another place called the Start, and then the Burton Island Start, which is where these boys are coming from, is longer range. But there's an Emperor Penguin colony there where they run a billionaire's camp for champagne drinkers. Right. And so that's how you get to the start line. A few yeah. days ago, two guys got dropped off at the champagne camp, started the long journey solo next to each other. Yeah. You know, that's a funny old game. and uh, But yeah. good on them, you know, and like more part two of them, they're going to walk for like minimum of 60 days probably more like 80 listening to tunes pulling a heavy load sweating
0: getting the audio books on
1: yeah it's kind of like the dullest thing you can ever imagine and really hard work yeah um so more power to them it but doesn't sound like me. my idea of
0: a good time I must throw say. a kite into the mix yeah and it's a different story so you're looking for more of a challenge again not
1: just that like I, 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 I want to do something that's fun <laughs> you know the uh, yeah. and kite skiing or snow kiting is fun um, and you know, it's when it works, you, I mean it's just, they're not comparable things. You can go hundreds of miles a day with hundreds of kilos and it's exciting, yeah. um, uh, but you need like a certain set of conditions to enable that to happen. You need obviously wind, Yeah. but you need, the crucial thing is wind direction to heading so which way do you want to go and which way is the wind coming from and as with the wind strength you have a few different kites we have three different kites for different wind ranges but then you also need the surface is critical like yeah what is the surface like is it power is it sastrugi sastrugi are these gnarly yeah wind and the ridges, ridges right and it's rock hard the snow is rock hard yeah. and then some, some of its ice blue ice you yeah. know like like an ice rink sure and then you also need visibility so when it's flat light and it's a bad surface. It's really hard to kite because you know you can't see these. Plus, two hundred kilo sledge is uh, everyone
0: massive. Can, everyone can relate to that. from yeah, skiing so, or skiing Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So,
1: um, so you need like you need the stars to align for you, basically. Yeah. So, how but was it? Do, did, you, did did they line for you then? Eventually, yeah. You know, finally, yeah. But the first couple of weeks of the trip were in amazingly difficult. Like really? really, really, really challenging. Um, it couldn't have been any more difficult. In what uh, way? It was just ridiculously cold and ridiculously windy and uh, we were only averaging like 25 30 k's a day and we were fighting hard for it I mean by cold on the first day we were dropped off it was minus 37 and then we got (laughs) hit by a storm and the winds were up to 45 knots which is like you know 60 kilometers an hour the wind chill the real feel wind chill temperature of that is like minus 73 right that was the first day The wind calmed down after the storm, four days pinned right where the plane dropped us off. Right. Like survival situation, you know? Yeah. The winds eased off, but they were still like 20 plus knots, which is really windy. Yeah, yeah. And the smallest kite we had was a nine square meter, which is not a small kite. And we had to be really overpowered because you've got these heavy loads. All all the kites have a wind range, but when, and they're designed for, you know, they spec it off an 80 kilo rider. Um, But if you've got a 200 kilo sledge as well, you obviously need to be, you need to size up. Yeah. But flying it, and, and we were using like race kites, really high performance kites. There's loads of different kinds of kites. And we opted to go with like really high performance ones. They have some benefits, they have some drawbacks. And flying like race kites in massively overpowered winds in those conditions was like, oh my god. <laughs> you know, it was, it was gnarly. And the two guys I was with are way better kites than me. One of them is fully world class, and the right. other guy's really good. And so I was the weakest member of the team on the kite in front. Yeah. And uh, man, we were hanging on by a thread. As Jean put it, Jean Bergen from France, he's done more than a thousand days of kiting. Right. And uh, and he said, this week has been the hardest kiting of my life.
0: Right. So how did you find that? Do you, do you are you, <laughs> I mean, but is that something you can sort of thrive on? Are you a bit like, oh well, i yeah, just get shock sure. in. Yeah, for sure. Band started up. Yeah, the, um,
1: it was a really hard trip and uh, I would have been so disappointed if it hadn't have been. You know, obviously you don't go and do something like that because you want a beach holiday. Yeah. Um, It was probably a little bit harder than I was anticipating, but, and we didn't, it didn't quite all go according to plan. We had to change objective when we got to the mountain because the climb that I really wanted to do is like a properly hard big wall climb. Yeah. Uh, And we got so spanked on the way in and then we've got like a 1,300-kilometer journey out, including a 400-k upwind section, which means you might have to walk or you're tacking directly upwind. Right. Heavily crevassed, glacial region, technical mountaineering. You know. So uh, yeah, it was massively challenging, basically. Um, but then finally, you know, and kiting is so hard to to budget the time because you know on a good day you can do 200 kilometers in a few hours. Uh, on a bad day you don't move at all yeah so you try and work on on averages but in the end it finally came good and uh and the first 200k we day we had yeah was day 45. And on day and then it lined up. Wow, right. So and that we, did, is... we did we did set, we did six hundred and eighty kilometres in four days. We did right. half the trip in four like in pow. Like well, you, it was amazing. But
0: you had forty-five days where you where you weren't we were making We fighting for where it. Where you weren't making it. We were your fighting progress. for it every day. Right. You know?
1: We had a couple of good sessions in there, but yeah. and then it finally came good and we beasted out of there and we finished with like nearly three weeks of food in our pulks because it, it finally came good and we started hitting 200 k days.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's
1: that's But we we fought for it, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was going to ask you about the funding for this, actually, because I imagine, can't imagine that was cheap.
1: The Spectre Expedition cost three hundred grand, £303,000. I've got the accounts down to the penny. Right. And uh, of that, 70000 was refundable. <clears throat> it's a refundable bond. So you basically pay for a pickup, and if you don't use it, they pay you back because the guys that do the logistics right. you know, know how it works. And I paid that. I remortgaged the family home to pay the fat bond. You did? Uh, yep. And, right, because uh, I knew we were going to do it, um, but it was obviously a pretty big risk. I also put quite a bit of my own cash in to make up the other two hundred and thirty. Right, um, but yeah, two hundred So
0: how can you recoup that then through the film and, well, and talking about it? it, it I'm kind of a professional adventure
1: climber, right? So no, I know, but that's. Um, I think
0: it's interesting to know like how how you turn that into an income. You know,
1: well, it's pretty much. It's not quite. It, it, it's not quite cost neutral, but um, excluding time. No one's been paid a penny for the thousands of hours of work that have gone into it. Yeah. But the 230 grand of non-recoverable funds was mostly covered by sponsorship yeah. and the grant bodies that I worked very hard for many years <clears throat> to pull together. Because yeah. it was the hardest sell ever, man. It's like a mountain that nobody's heard of, that's been climbed. Yeah. We didn't go to the South Pole. We didn't set any records. We didn't climb Everest. We didn't <clears throat> go from... The coast. We didn't take any of well, it's the. It's quite conceptual,
0: isn't it? You it's know, it's
1: new school, man. It's like properly progressive new school yeah, expedition. Yeah, exactly. It's it's it, it's it was, not an
0: easy thing to hang it on, is it? You no, know, and and as a result, it's a
1: real hard PR. You know, and yeah. it, ultimately, that's what you're doing is you PR and you're selling assets before they exist yeah. to help. Brands PR stuff, which is
0: a massive part of your job, obviously. Yeah,
1: that's where all the money comes from. Yeah, yeah, and probably um, what it's you same spend, thing that you do basically.
0: And probably what you, probably what you spend most of your life doing, right? <laughs>
1: well, not most of it, but
0: you know, it's, mostly working life. But I kind of like
1: the challenge, you know. When when I would start talking to people about, I, I got some accurate costings, and they were like, "You're having a laugh, mate. You're never going to be able to like." It's a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, the average house price in the UK right now is two hundred and thirty-four thousand pounds. Yeah, so it's almost exactly the same price. As it's a lot of house.
0: money to try and raise because obviously working for in, three people, it's not like there was. 30 of us yeah you know? like obviously working this game i've got an idea
1: about how hard it is to raise money and in the uk in the outdoor industry they are big numbers you know that's a lot of money yeah
0: for, for this game yeah definitely so good on you for it, took pulling years, it, off. it took years it took years
1: and they uh you know Berghouse put in a chunk um but not like that much yeah and uh and i and i worked it and i worked it and and now i'm caught i'm, I'm sort of i'm g- going from the sort of Core climbing world into like the wider adventure world, and yeah, and I know there's like all these rich people around that you know. They can bankroll stuff with their loose change, and that's yeah. kind of what happened. This one dude totally sorted us out, and that's how it went back in the day. You know, when Shackleton was down there, well, there was Scott patrons, was, yeah, there was patrons it? And, and benefactors, were, exactly. And yeah, the kind of still is. You just need to be rolling in the right circles yeah. and have the right reputation and know the right people and, and give
0: them the story. Yeah,
1: and well, uh, I, mean, but I put myself in. You know, they didn't. <laughs> I want <laughs> to find them by accident. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. But what? It's, it's an interesting point though. Like, what are they? What are they buying? What's he buying? Fifty
1: thousand quid to someone who lives in Chelsea. Uh, who owns various portfolio, is like a night out. Yeah,
0: true. But it's still a lot of money. Yeah, it's a huge amount of money. But to them,
1: it's a night out. They can literally blow that. So... You, there's a few there's some people out there and this is just how it was back in the day who they 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 know how much money that is and they know that things like the specter expedition cannot happen without serious finance and they just think it's cool yeah basically so and they, they want they the kudos they think it's cool Well, they yeah. don't, they don't really get anything out of it they just
0: other than like they
1: know the score and they uh they want it to happen and um yeah but it's you, a bit
0: like what you're not funding a kite trip across the antarctic like <laughs> i'm sure like in you know their I mean? circles
1: you know they'll have a yeah but all um, like,
0: oh, right what, what you've been up to well i'm doing this actually it's probably a bit of that isn't it? isn't yeah. really. i've been out
1: for dinner with him a few times yeah. and um good on him so that was one pot and then there was a few other pots we got a massive grant off the mount everest foundation which is this uniquely british thing uh, which is a grants body which every year gives away quite a lot of money to exploratory climbing adventures right um british and new zealand ones it was set up with the With the profits of the 1953 Everest expedition, yeah, Uh, and they have like a fund, and every year they give a percentage of the interest to cool stuff. Normally, the grants are between 500 and 5,000 pounds on average. You'll get about two, two and a half if you're doing something cool. Yeah, but then, long story cut short, they did a super grant, right? uh, And I won it, and they gave us 50 grand. Um,
0: um, So, so, and and they won it because of the uniqueness of it.
1: Yeah, because it's you know there are people out there who know the difference between. Skiing to the South Pole, skiing the last degree, climbing Everest, climbing map, the seven summits. You know, they're, they're like products, commercial
2: Yeah, products. they are now, aren't they? Totally. And they've yeah. been
1: for a while. And like what we what we did out there um, is super new school. It's really yeah. progressive. And as a result, it was a really hard sell. It was really hard to raise the money. It's hardly got any PR since we got back. Yeah. Um, but I knew that was going to happen. Right. But what I, I'm quite psyched about is that, and like here this weekend, there's people here who know the score. And we've sort of like it's a historic trip the, yeah. what we have achieved there to travel those kind of distances with those kind of loads with technical objectives in the middle is um is super new school and and it, it, in one way to, you know martin hartley was telling me this last night ranting um he <laughs> knows the score and he's like yeah dude you, you, you guys have like reset the bar it's awesome and, yeah and i'm so glad that we were able to do that and i'm so glad that i busted my balls for so long to raise the money and uh yeah it was it was totally sick dude to be out there for that amount of time like kiting like that it', it, it, it kiting's dangerous and and the climbing that we we're doing is dangerous to be that far away like this yeah. glacier we came down Matt oh my God the scott glacier it's hundred miles long 30 kilometers wide there's maybe been like 10 people there ever yeah crevasses like everywhere and like a checkerboard of crevasses they weren't running laterally like they normally do and then we started and you, it's it's ice so you can see the crevasses clear as day because they're full of snow yeah um, and it's like a, it's like a zebra, but they, like i said so it's like a chessboard and we started like gingerly kiting around then we thought well and it's hard to stop when yeah you're kite in, no, sure. so you can't stop and probe <laughs> when
0: you pulling 200 pound or whatever
1: yeah i mean you can stop it depends how windy it is like when you can land the kites without botching them but when you're really overpowered you can't land them without botching them and if you botch them and you get a kite mare you've got to sort <laughs> the lines out and like sorting kite lines out when it's minus 30 yeah it's, it's not like fun. a ball egg yeah um, so you try not to stop basically yeah um, so so we started like going over these crevasses fast yeah you know and you get you can get a bit of lift out of the kite if you need it so we we were just we were just bombing right and then and then we was like oh, well, it's working so and the wind got good and yeah we did like it was our first good session we did 76ks down this glacier beasting oh, yeah. over all these crevasses and then the wind got really really strong and we stopped and uh for the day and then we went and probed some of them and they were like oh my god if we <laughs> right. just went tap this crevasse and it shoot just collapsed right you know, like they were not stable right, right. there's no way you could walk over them sure but because we had long skis and we were going fast yeah we uh so then we were and we'd kind of beached ourselves you can't but be- we ended up in the middle of it was like when we finally stopped it was like oh shit <laughs> we are like in the middle of Of a giant crevasse field and a giant glacier at the end of the world. Yeah. Oh no! (laughs) What are we gonna do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get these pressure ridges, which are like they're like bollards. Like ice sticks up where they move around. So it it, it was like a joke. It was just the most gnarly place you can ever imagine. Right. So we spent the night there, and then next day we're like, man, what we were doing yesterday was not safe. We can't kite over these things. We can't do that again today so yeah. we had to walk for a day or and a half to get out of this awful area and pick up some different terrain and different wind currents and then right at the end like end of that day literally one kilometer away from the mountain that we'd come to climb yeah on day 17 it took us 16 days to get in um my port went down a crevasse like the last right. crevasse of the whole journey <laughs> And uh, right and there by that stage the ports were about 180 kilos and yeah, the, the unthinkable happened. I was like, we were literally like, it was the glory run to the mountain. It was the only time on the trip up to that point where we separated. Mark went ahead by about a kilometre and a half to get the money shot. I was arriving at the mountain. Right. We set off. There's, I know exactly why it happened. Basically, I slowed down because he, he wasn't ready. I was like, oh, you need a bit of speed to get over those crevasses and just boom, <laughs> like boom. <laughs> you can't imagine how violent it is when a hundred and eighty kilo load falls down a hole. And I was kiting along and then just jesus right disappeared and you knew obviously no i didn't know what the hell was happening really just like it was so so violent yeah and so fast uh the kite just dropped out the sky i was getting dragged backwards across the snow we had the dins on quite high so my skis didn't come off right um and then i just realized what was happening and we had like the pulks were attached to our harnesses on load release knot right but we there's no way it was. It was a bad system. A you can't reach around your back. I was gonna and say without
0: force like that you can't no actually chance. do no that, no can chance.
1: you? And and like the knot was. We needed. To, you you couldn't. They were welded. Right. But the pull jammed in a in, <laughs> right. a, in a compression deep in the yes Right. And uh, and the knot in the trace jammed in the lip. And right. I was able to like not die and uh, uh, get an ice screw in and then Jean came over and we I got the load off and uh, and then it took us a few hours to like go and get it right. out the bottom of the hole right. and, uh, but it was gnarly man you know it was like it was that close basically yeah. I was very very lucky that, and it was literally less than a kilometre away from the end of the journey it Right. was at the end of the first part of the journey Jesus so yeah that was pretty bad man it was like it was a near death experience if things had been very slightly different I wouldn't be sat here right now right wow um
0: how do you feel about that then when you uh, realised what had gone on?
1: Uh, psyched, man, because, you know, you know <laughs> there's, there's, there's a great line in the film where we've, we've dealt with it. In that, and then I was really worried that the pork was going to be damaged. Right. Because, you know, we've got another That's 40 an- days. W- which would be another problem. We've got problem. An- another 50 days out there, another yeah. month and a half. So yeah, if yeah. anything's really damaged, you're in big trouble. Or if you lose anything, you know, if we couldn't... If the pul- if I'd had to cut away the pulk and we'd lost it, that's a full rescue situation. Yeah, you of course. Yeah. So, um, so, we went down and like it couldn't haul it out in a water because it was so heavy. But we unpacked it, hauled everything out, got the machine, got the got the, 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 the pulk out, uh, checked it, and it was fine. Didn't lose any kit. So there's this gold line in the film where I go. Haven't broken anything, haven't lost anything, and I'm not dead. Result. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So how was the climb? You said you didn't get your objective, and it was harder than you thought. So
1: this south pillar is the, the one that we went for. It's like the finest unclimbed line on planet Earth. Yeah. You know, it is. And uh, it's just this 700-meter-high, perfect prow of... granite. looks like the nose of El Capitan. You know, it's that good. and uh, But we didn't have a portal edge, and... Um, which is a hanging tent that you use on steep yeah, cliffs. Yeah, sure, yeah. And because, and I didn't bring one because they weigh about, it's about 12 kilos for tent, for the fly and the ledge, and we had to carry it for a 1,000 miles. Right. So very early in the planning process, I was like, no, we're going properly al- alpine style. Uh, there are ledges and stuff, um, but when we got there, basically it was miles more, it was much more of a big wall than alpine granite. Right. It was really steep. It's like It's like a proper big wall climb. It's yeah, not yeah. like an easy route if you're climbing this stuff makes sense if you're not it doesn't but essentially it was very very steep and very very featureless there was a line um but something that i underestimate is when the wind picks up out there you know you will not survive for very long when you are outside yeah you know like you won't survive a day yeah when there's no wind it's different you can push it you need to have shelter at hand unless you've got a really big stable high pressure system sure and leaving shelter is like suicide if you haven't got stable weather yeah so we were still at the, the forecast we were getting were bad and we were basically gambling on a stable high pressure for a week or two when we were there yeah and then you can like push a lot harder and we just didn't get it the weather just was really unstable it kept changing every every 10 hours like different stuff would come through right precipitation cloud wind conditions so that's not really something that you can weather. really
0: predict or prepare for
1: no and you can't like you can't the way jean put it was like if we were in the alps (laughs) we don't climb in these conditions yeah why would we consider it here
2: yeah yeah (laughs) yeah when you but if you've got a
1: portal edge you can hide you know you've got a place to hide so if the wind picks up you can so we kind of screwed up i should have brought a ledge really but you know 12 kilos is that's a hugely heavy thing yeah um in hindsight we should have brought a portal ledge and we could have had a pop but i think part of my motivation for doing these trips is to like See how far you can go. You know how far can you push it? How close to the edge can you get? Yeah. Without dying. You yeah. Know, without crossing the line. So that. Is and we got to the line, man. And it was at the bottom of the wall. We were there, and we recognised it. I'm like, this is not going to end well. We are pushing. We are so strung out. We are pushing so hard right now. We need to like, reel it in a bit.
0: Was that a difficult
1: decision to make then? Yeah, it's been doing my head in all year. You know, it actually, it actually wasn't I that difficult ca- at the I
0: time. I can kind of tell actually. Yeah. You can you can see it. Yeah. It's like you're a bit like it's eating you up a bit isn't it yeah 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 it is
1: because you know like that's what I went there to do yeah um, and uh, and we were sat there looking at it and I was like oh man and it looked it was what, just what the was- top part was like ah there's just too much level of uncertainty and I've got to a level of experience and knowledge now where you know I've had a really bad accident I've, yeah. I've served my time and uh, I was just like shit we well you're a dad as well got we, we've got a turn we've got to stop here so we went round to the other side of the mountain yeah climbed and a very spectacular awesome route that was actually really pretty difficult uh, and we got to the top of the mountain um and then you know and we still had a, a full polar crossing after that yeah a 40 well, that, day that's mission that's the other bit you had to get out didn't you and we had to get out and like i remortgaged my house for, you know i wouldn't have got that bond back if we hadn't finished the trip sure so um the Spectre expedition was like it was really four expeditions back to back the first one was a 400 kilometer downwinder <clears throat> from near the south pole to the mountain the second was a climbing trip in the mountains yeah the third was an upwind 400 kilometers back to the point where the plane dropped us off yeah and then the fourth was another 1100 kilometer downwinder. yeah to the Union Glacier any one of those trips is a major undertaking yeah, yeah, for yeah. almost anyone back to them is like next level you know <laughs> well when I
0: was reading about it we were having a laugh about it because we were I was a bit like yeah I'm going to interview Leo and, and a couple of mates like oh yeah what's he been up to I was like, and then this, and then this, and then this, and everyone's like, "All right, <laughs> like, fucking hell!"
1: It's kind of like I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not bigging myself up, but um, you know, it was, it was a big trip, and uh, yeah, and we pulled it off apart from one thing, yeah, which was the South. So you've got to business. Yeah, and you know, I, you're gonna go back. Yeah yeah one day yeah yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah. but it's going to be even harder to raise the money next time yeah but you know that the the price of being ambitious is that you, you're never satisfied you know there's all yeah that's that's the cost of ambition and uh yeah but i was pretty bummed and well i wasn't it wasn't that difficult to make the decision at the time because it was clear not it wasn't going to end well yeah but then we did this other ace route and then we still had a few days and we were holding out to the last minute and the weather just didn't stabilize and we had this big journey ahead and then uh, yeah we we finished it and for the for the that was like a 8 9 months ago and I, i've finally laid it to rest now i'm not bummed about it but uh you know it was an amazing trip we did we achieved a lot but i just know we didn't quite tick all the boxes
0: yeah <laughs> yeah have you i mean that is a big ambition though like have you always have you always backed yourself to that degree? Because you can come up with an idea like that, and you can you can be like, yeah, I'm going to do that, all right. But then to actually back yourself to the degree that you have, and you and you said something earlier like, yeah, I knew we'd do it, you know, and and you've and you've put your money where your mouth is, literally remortgage your house, you know, you've, have you? Th- that is a pretty formidable about a drive. Have you? Is that something that's just always been in you to like back yourself to that degree, to I like got- <laughs> have these projects and be like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Not only am I going to do it, I'm going to like actually. Back myself, like. Well, also I mean? you know, in
1: climbing, like a big thing is when climbers talk about style. It's not like when snowboarders talk about style. Yeah. yeah it's, it's not the, about what you look like. Yeah. And, it's the style and, and of, the, of, the, of the ascent. The yeah. Style yeah of the route. There's a lot of like ethical approaches. Yeah. Which, it way more important than what you actually do is yeah. the way in which you do it. Yeah. Specifically which, when it comes to bolts, um we didn't bring a drill. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like half a kilo of kit that radically increases your chances of success when you find yourself on a blank wall in a remote place. Sure. And we didn't bring it. We didn't bring any fixed rope because you know, it isn't about getting to the top. If you wanted to get to the top, you walk around the side, you can get a helicopter. It's about the journey and expressing yourself to the maximum that you possibly can. Uh, and these little things like not bringing a drill, like not bringing fixed rope, like not flying in and out of a mountain, up the ante a lot, and and the and
0: the remoteness, obviously, Mm-mm. as you described. Yeah,
1: but I, yeah, you know, I, I didn't set out to like twenty years ago. I just like what next, what next. I wasn't very strategic. I was just psyched all the time. and yeah. the opportunities that come. But as I've got older, and I've got a family and time constraints, you know, yeah, you, you kind of need projects and goals to like, and then. Ten years ago, I sort of started doing that model, and then this was like, well, that went well, that went well, that went well. Let's go all in. And what's like the biggest, gnarliest project you can think of that you've got a realistic chance of doing? Yeah. And that was the Spectre Expedition.
0: Well, where's that going to end, though?
1: Well, that's a good question. You know, you know like, what I mean? <laughs> if, you've got, if you you've take got, that to its logical it, conclusion, cause, cause it, it doesn't end in a good place. <laughs> well, because
0: it's already like a pretty, like, you know, not to labour the point, but it's already like, you know, you're constructing these scenarios that are so out there anyway, progressive, and if you're driven by this need to push yourself in that way as you're describing, and you keep up in the ante the whole time, I don't even mean like in a danger term, I just mean, I always mean like, like a creative way, you know what I mean, like what what on earth next?
1: Well, I don't know, you know, and I'm still like, this was a, this. In, it, it took me five years to pull this project off. Yeah. Well, actually it took me five years to get to the start line and then uh, which the film's on is like, just come which out. Which
0: is massive, It's <laughs> a massive undertaking.
1: I did a lot of other stuff in that of five course, years as well, right? But the, uh, yeah, and then now it's still, the film was only just finished on Friday, mate, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So what I would really like, I'm still on the follow-up from the Spectre, and what I would really like, and uh, Alistair Lee Ali has created a film which does it justice. It's yeah. really good, dude. And yeah. uh, I'd like to be able to share that properly, like not... Yeah, yeah, film festivals and yeah, but I'd like millions of people to be able to see what it's like out there to do yeah. something like that. Can and, you uh, can
0: you do that? You, is that the next plan then? It's
1: not easy to get access to Netflix, and to, you know I work in telly as well, right? I, yeah, I, I yeah. did a prime time slot on BBC Two early yeah, this year, yeah. um, but I know how that industry works, and it's it's dead hard. But so I've still got a bit more follow up with that, and I'd like to try and share um, the Spectre expedition on, on a large platform. Uh, but then what next? Well, you know, there's I've got loads of ideas. You can do things in different directions. It doesn't have to be a linear one-upmanship, right? Yeah, um, well,
0: that, that's not what your career has been, though, has it? Like, that you've you've it's almost like you've taken a project that's that's and you've put all your energy into it in that way. But it's not about like, well, I'm going to do this and then do this and then do this. Like,
1: I've followed my path, man. You know, I I found it very early in life, and I've committed to it wholeheartedly and it's just gone so well from when I was grew up just up the road from here I've never yeah. done things that other people told me to do I've always had sponsors that were super cool and let me have absolute autonomy I just yeah. I've like yeah So, um, so we'll see what's next I've got I've got a load of ideas I'm not going to do another three month trip whilst the kids are little. Um, I don't really want to do another 300 grand expedition anytime soon because it's such a ball ache <laughs> raising all that money. No shit. Uh, and like it's stressful because if you're just a little bit off, if you know, if you're 10% off the budget on a 30 grand trip, that's 3,000 quid. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of money. That was my first season in Yosemite. I didn't spend 3,000 quid yeah, in sure, like yeah. three months. Yeah. But it's three thousand quid. It's not going to break my bank. If you're ten percent off the budget on a three hundred grand trip, yeah, it's you're thirty grand out of pocket. It's not you know. a house, is not it? Yeah, and it messes your life up and yeah. my family's life up. So it was all quite stressful. The, yeah, those figures are big for me. Yeah. And, um, so anyway, yeah, yeah, I've actually I've got this tree climbing mission in mind for the next one. It's relatively simple, but these giant strangler fig trees in uh, Central Papua New Guinea um, that a mate of mine who's called Walter Etherton, who's a tree climber, they're amazing. Do you know what a strangler fig is? No. So a strangler fig is like it's a uh, uh, a parasitic um, vine, but the, you know like the massive like yeah, avatar yeah. trees, sure. these giant trees, and then the, the the strangler fig overtakes the tree and kills the tree and the tree dies away. But they end up like these giant climbing frames. But right. some of them are like eighty, yeah, sixty to seventy meters tall, right, out in the jungle. Uh, and, and go and climb up them. Like right. this, mate of mine's properly into tree climbing, and so right. I think we're going to do that, which is a relatively simple trip. Yeah, and, uh, it'll be a lot of fun and something different and creative. And yeah, uh, there's these local like pygmy people out there, and they're not pygmies, but you know, they're like these dudes, and they are into climbing trees for fun. Right. Um, so that's. I think we're going to do that, and uh, that and that'll only be like 20 days door to door. Yeah. Which is good when you've got kids, and it'll be yeah, a laugh. Yeah, and, yeah.
0: Yeah. So you're. You know. You said earlier that you've you've known your path from a young age, and. Because I think I met you first, I was we try to remember, it was about 20 years ago. I met you in Sheffield, you were with Johnny, Johnny like Dawes. Almost
1: 25 years ago.
0: Yeah. So, and you would have been what, like 14 maybe back then? And you already seemed pretty focused at that age. Well, that like, was
1: a really influential part of my life. Man. Yeah. My, my parents used to let me go on the train. By myself when I was 13 to go and stay with Johnny Dawes in I Sheffield. Remember,
0: which is when I met you. Yeah. And you were just hanging out with Johnny, who was obviously a pretty, pretty out there role model at that time. <laughs> <laughs> you exactly. Know, and I was climbing the eights yeah, you know, yeah, with yeah, Johnny Dawes. Exactly.
1: At and the weekend. Yeah. And then coming back to school. Johnny and like, was pretty loose back then. Super loose, yeah, man. Yeah. 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 And uh, so was the whole crew, you know. They, yeah. They, that yeah. scene
0: then was like, went for you. That must have been like pretty eye-opening shall we say yeah, yeah exactly yeah. exactly but did you did you i really, don't
1: think i'd ever drunk a beer the first time i went to visit johnny
0: yeah in sheffield changed quite quickly <laughs> yeah but did you have that focus at that point you know what i mean did you w- w- when you saw that world were you like yeah that's a bit of me yeah
1: you know that it's kind of changing a bit now but what it drew me to climbing and like i'm in the snow sports world as well it, it's the counterculture it's the a way of living your life differently which is way more fun and way more rewarding than the the nine to five, buy a nice house, buy a nice car that, that we get rammed down our throats yeah. in this world, in which the, the Western world in which we live.
0: Well, that's the appeal, isn't it? That's why you get into these things. Cause, yeah, cause it's not, you know,
1: yeah, it's a rad life. You know?
0: yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You know? yeah, well, that's why I got into what I do. Yeah. That's why I think that's why people listen to this are into it because it gives you that glimpse of an alternative world, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and especially when you're amazing. a kid, because yeah. you, you see that and you're like, yeah
1: do I want yeah but it's not for everyone right you know the the, the, the insecurity the risk the uh, um, we all choose our own paths but I was really lucky that when I discovered climbing early in life I pretty much knew straight away I was like this is what I want to do in my life right uh, when I was so like rare. 10 that is so rare isn't it um, and yeah I'm so happy that I did you know that's that's what you've got to do in life you've got to try and find your passion and pursue it with absolute commitment um, we, I made this film in Everest in 2007 called the wildest dream the Mallory, the Mallory one The Mallory yeah and the wildest dream yeah was a is a line from one of uh, Mallory's letters and you know the, climbing Everest in 1924 was his wildest dream we've all got our own wildest dreams right uh, and you should have them and once you figure it out you know, go all in and yeah. try and make it a reality.
0: Yeah, has that been difficult? Because it, some, sometimes that means you've got to do things that perhaps might not make you that popular.
1: Of course it's difficult, you know, like the, uh, it, it, if it's easy, it's not rewarding. Yeah. You know, one of the things I've definitely learned along all these trips is that you yeah. can have spectacular successes, right, where on paper it looks amazing, Yeah. but if it didn't push you right to the edge, they're almost forgettable. Like it might look great that you site an 8B plus, but if you didn't find it hard, It doesn't really, they're not the really important ones. The really important ones, the best experiences in life are the ones where you push yourself almost to the point of failure and you snatch success from the the jaws of defeat. And they're the ones that when you're looking back on a life, they're the ones you remember. Yeah. They're the fucking best ones.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So... Apart from the tree climbing, what else you got going on?
1: Uh, what's next? Like, yeah, I've got two little kids, man. So my little boy Jackson is is two. My daughter Freya is five. Uh, and this summer we did the first proper family adventure. We yeah. get out and about a lot, you know. But we uh, I took my little girl and my little boy up uh, up Triglav in Slovenia, um, which is a semi technical mountain. Yeah. And uh, Jackson was in the carrier. We've got this neat little harness system where you he goes in the carrier with a harness on and you clip it into your belay loop. Right. So if it fails, amazing. And uh, and and Freya. Did not get carried at all. We did the Seven Lakes route to the summit of Triglav via the Scosia Rizzo variation, and it, it's like not many five-year-olds do that. Kind no of right. Uh, it's two thousand meters ascent, forty k's, and it's climbing. You yeah. Know? The last day is like That's proper amazing. Climbing. She's and she's fired on a short rope, and you know, yeah, held her hand the whole way. She walked all the way up and all the way down, and she didn't complain about it. Uh, on the top, there's loads of like Slovenian mountain guides up there, and even and Slovenia's a hardcore right. Yeah, are yeah. The best alpinists in the world. Yeah. And they were like respect. You know the. Yeah. Um, and that is awesome to do that with your offspring, you know? I yeah, do, yeah. There with Freya. yeah. So I'm really psyched on that to like, you know, one of the beautiful things about having children, back to your earlier point about how hard to push, you rediscover, you, you can do the things that you used to do 20 years ago that are, it'd become really boring and they're not boring when you do them with kids you, you can know? see like, it through
0: those eyes yeah that really yeah. did on
1: trig Life, if I'd been doing it with a mate it would have been like a nice day out but whatever but doing it with kids was like wow this is wonderful and, and being able to share all this stuff that I've figured out and all these wonderful places that I've found and being able to sh- you know taking Freya to Yosemite for the first time and climbing something there with her down the road what a thing what a gift to give you Yeah, know yeah I mean?
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah but on that point you know I've got to ask the obvious question, like how do you balance that with the three you know the the kite boarding across Antarctica with the kite skiing tour across Antarctica with with that level of risk?
1: Well, it wasn't that dangerous, you know, the the that's just just the crevasse. That was the one thing and I was very aware of. Well you say it's not that
0: dangerous, but you've obviously calculated it to justify it to yourself, like to so see you could do it. You know, like the But there's there's still obviously risk. You know what I mean? Like you're having having to reevaluate that. That's my question. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, Of course, man. You know, when you've got kids, you you, you've got to reel it in a bit. But the uh, you know risk is a relative term. Uh, I don't ride a road bike. I think that is an unjustifiably dangerous sport. That's
0: interesting to hear.
1: You know, I I I don't. I ride a mountain bike. Yeah. On a road bike around here, it's super popular. Right, all these middle-aged people. There's some there's some (laughs) seventeen-year-old. On Instagram, driving at 60 miles an hour in a car that weighs a ton and a half, coming past you by 20
2: centimeters—that
1: yeah. is unacceptably dangerous. And that is Russian roulette. It's the objective hazard. You are not in control of the risks when yeah. you're riding along a road. There might be a 90-year-old person coming the other way about to have a heart attack. You know. Yeah. They, that is really, really, really dangerous. I think that is unacceptably dangerous. So right. I don't ride a road bike. Sure. I think it's a lot more dangerous than base jumping. Yeah. I think it's a lot more dangerous than than snowkiting for sure. So we all have our own interpretation of risk, yeah. And I'm kind of an expert in my field, so
0: which is I, why it's interesting to be perspective, obviously. Yeah,
1: but I got to, you know, I did get take. I did go into a my port went into a crevasse. That was like the <laughs> thing that we yeah. didn't want to it, happen. It, you know, it, it did happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I knew the risk, and that was the one. It was like what the only thing that's going to kill you in Antarctica is, is being a dickhead or a crevasse, and uh, and it happened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, that that was a a bit of a like.
0: You know, you can only mitigate the risk to a certain point. That's a brilliant quote. I think base jumping is less dangerous than road cycling. I mean it. Yeah, you still base jumping?
1: I haven't base jumped since my mate Stanley died. You know, the uh, my, one of my best mates, who I did loads of shit with for years, um, died, and uh, my daughter was six months old and his wife was seven months pregnant. And, uh, and he died f- flying an aggressive proximity line, which is like super dangerous. And um, it was shit. It was really awful. The, uh, I spoke to him like a few days before and he was fully panicking about becoming a dad as I had uh, six months earlier. And I remember I was saying, look, dude, as soon as you meet your child, you'll get it, it it's, it's a special thing. Uh, and he just pushed a bit too hard at the end there and, uh, and died, Sean Leary Stanley. Um, and that was a real slap in the face, to have this little baby and see this like deeper way of life and to, for him to die with a seven-month-pregnant wife proximity flying. You know, yeah. the, uh, that was a big slap in the face, you know. Um, so I haven't... And I, and I was wingsuit flying two weeks before my boy was born. Yeah. Um, not proximity, you know, yeah, that's yeah. a different game, but sure. I was wingsuit base jumping a couple of weeks before Frey was born and then that was the last jump I did. I've still got my rig. I still got. I will base jump again one day because you can do it safely. You know, there's loads of safe jumps out there. Yeah. Jumping off El Cap with like an opening high is like way safer than road biking. <laughs> way, way, way safer. <laughs> you know, but flying Honest. those gnarly lines <laughs> off the midi of the cheese grater and that stuff where you're a foot yeah. off the ground for no—that is not safe. That's no. more dangerous than road biking. Yeah. But um, base jumping is a is a broad term. But the, yeah, so Stanley went in and that like changed everything. Yeah. Uh, and i and i sort of thought about throwing the towel in and then i had a really weird experience where the next the next big trip i had on was a tv show for discovery called the lost Worlds with monty holes and leo holding yeah by telly standards it was pretty legit but it was telly right yeah yeah so it's very different to this real world of adventure yeah exactly it's Um, a a construct it's a product you know you're there on a schedule and yeah but what happened man and this is the true story right we went to borneo to climb this wall, and uh, <sighs> everyone in the Lo- in the TV industry lives in London, right? Yeah. So everyone's flying from London, from London Heathrow to Kuala Lumpur. I live in the north of England. They always you get the schedule, and they've always got you to flight from London. But I told them early on I want to fly from Manchester. Yeah. Um, we were going to go and climb this 300 meter tall cliff in quite a remote part of the Bornean jungle, and the production schedule came through, and we had three days in the schedule to climb an unclimbed thousand foot high overhanging limestone cliff and shoot it and i immediately got on the phone and was like you are having a laugh mate that's (laughs) totally impossible yeah Um, who'd who'd
0: written that in (laughs) that is absolutely
1: impossible um and he was like well that's what i was like we can't do that it's impossible i said i'll tell you what i'll go out four days ahead of schedule with two of my mates unpaid you need to pay my mates but yep. their dare rates are a fraction of mine because i'm the talent yeah i'll go out unpaid we'll pre-rig it we'll find the route we'll start climbing it we'll put the ropes and the bolts in place and then those three days in the schedule we'll just shoot it yeah because climbing uh, the way you shoot a cliff is you do it once you put the ropes in the camera guy comes up you move the ropes you climb it on limestone like that it's sport climbing so we had a power drill and you know we needed to place 100 bolts yeah so um, yeah, so <laughs> I went out four days early and it went, you know, it went like a dream. We we went in with a couple of my mates. We found the line. We got halfway up. I left them there to finish the route, uh, and and then we came back to shoot it. Yeah. This is the story. I came out of the jungle. We were in deep, and we'd been in for about a week. I got back and the crew had arrived, and they were like, "It was a weird atmosphere." And I was like, "What's going on?" So did you not hear? I was like, "Well, I did not hear about what you know MH17, the flight that got shot down by Russian separatists." That went from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur on the 14th of July, 2014. Right. I had a seat on that plane. No fucking way. And the reason that I didn't die is because I went out four days earlier to to do that. No way. (laughs) You know.
0: That's fate right there.
1: Well, I don't believe in fate, but you know. If you did. And I was like, are you kidding me? You know, because they all flew from Heathrow to Kuala Lumpur, and and actually, their plane was on the same flight plan, a few hours different. You know, it could have easily been that plane that got taken out by that missile. Right? But I actually had a seat on that plane, and uh, and that this was about six months after Stanley died, a bit less actually, and that put me back on track. I was like, well, whatever, dude. Yeah, really. Don't proximity fly, but there's no point in turning away from this wonderful life of adventure to try and be safe and be a good parent and do the right thing. Cause that is as close as I've ever been to dying. Yeah. And all I did to not die was click the mouse a few days earlier. and Just make one decision. You know, and it's the proverbial getting hit by a bus tomorrow. It's a proper cliche, but it is true. Yeah. You know, you cannot live your life in fear. You've got to make the most of it. Um, and yeah, risk is inherent. Yeah. Don't be a dick. But don't shy away from life, you know, even because of that, because because of what might happen, because of what might happen, exactly. Yeah. You know, like stack the odds in your favor, have the skills, have the knowledge, have the experience, don't be a dick. Yeah, that's why we didn't climb the south pillar of the spectrum. I'm, I'm not a dick, you know, we, yeah. we got to the point where it would have been unfair on my family and children to go for that big prize, yeah, even though I really wanted it. Um, yeah, and and so that MH17 thing was like, well,
0: wow, wow, like, that's a mad story. A, yeah, what the fuck? Yeah, you know, like, Wait, as what, if uh, you said you don't believe in fate really strongly. I don't particularly believe in fate either, but you did say that quite. You know, like what 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 do you mean by that? So
1: there's another good story with the Spectre expert, right? The um there was another guy who was due to be coming with us, uh, a guy called Matt Pycroft, who's a filmmaker and photographer who I know from here. And he trained up for an entire winter. He spent eight weeks in Hergeslade. He Did a full season, and he yeah. went from never having kited before and having no polar experience, hanging out with professional guides who taught him some contacts of mine. And he put his time in, and after eight weeks, you can go from zero to like the very minimum level of experience that you need yeah. uh, to do something like that with other people who are better than you. Yeah. Yeah. And he did, and he was supposed to be coming. And then in July last year, I got a phone call. I was in Wanaka at the Wanaka Mountain Film Festival and he was like my dad's got cancer and he's been given three to six months to live right we were leaving on a three on, you know that was when we were going to be there yeah sure so i was like "Ooh, shit i'm gonna have to find someone who we either postpone but there was a good reason not to postpone or i need to find someone who's a good snow kiter with polar experience who can alpine climb big wall climb and operate a camera who has three months off over Christmas and New Year for an unpaid trip.
0: Pretty tough brief, that.
1: The guy I was sat next to, Mark Seddon, who runs the festival in Wanaka, who invited me, said, ah, oh, I can do all that. I'd love to come. <laughs> Literally do that, you know? <laughs>
0: and he did. That's fucking
1: brilliant. <laughs> you know, that is, so, but I don't believe in fate, because fate, it's like, it's like luck, yeah? You, I don't believe in luck, which is ironic, because I've been extremely lucky in my life, but, I didn't get a lottery ticket, you know. I, I found this luck. Yeah. Serendipity sometimes does happen. Like that's what you know, that was I just happened to be there and uh, he was sat next to me and, and then we spent, you know, two and a half months in the tent together. Yeah. Um but fate is like if you, you, you just come into fate, yeah, it's a cop out, exactly. Yeah. It's a cop out, you know, it's like the
0: I thought you were gonna say that. Yeah. Because it is just a bit of a it's a get-out clause. You've got it? to be in it to
1: win it, right? Yeah. Um so you know, and good stuff does happen when you try to make it happen. And yeah, maybe there is something going on there, like the stars yeah. aligning, that serendipity. Where really did that? You know, yeah, I, yeah. I'm sat next did to really one of the ten people, people in the world. Who, you know, there's literally like. <laughs> but ten you were people in one the world. Yeah, and I was, and and, yeah. and you were
0: in that position. And you, and like you say, it's not like you woke up one morning with like that opportunity. You spent your whole life getting to that point where you could meet that guy, and that ain't fate basically isn't
1: it? and i kind of i don't know what you know there's definitely something going on in the world but you know that brings people into alignment with one another but yeah you shouldn't the world is a magical place and we find our own magic but we also make our own magic you yeah know,
0: that's good man let's leave it there that's a really good point to end it yeah it's wicked thanks man so there you go that was me and leo i hope you enjoyed it Had it all that one, eh? From a funny, open, passionate, intelligent force of nature. Spectre isn't on general release yet, but I watched a preview after our chat. Can confirm it's a wild journey, beautifully told by a man determined to reinvent the field of exploration for a new generation. I know Leo's currently involved in a few chats to try and score some distribution through uh, somebody like Netflix and all that. So let's hope he pulls it off so this film gets as wide the wide distribution, easy for me to say, that it deserves. And I look forward to the day our paths cross once again. God, I'm having to garble all this out, eh? Anyway, right, so that was episode 63. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week with another episode from my trip to the Kendall Festival. So if you want to check that one out, subscribe through Apple Podcasts, to make sure they land in your iPhone each week. Um, yeah, on the update, you get that nice new reminder when it's downloading, which is pretty handy. Uh, you can head over to the website at looking sideways to check out the show notes and back catalogue. And it's time for my usual request. If you enjoyed it, please consider sharing it, Follow me on social media, leaving me a review or heading over to the shop and purchasing a t-shirt, sweat or hoodie to show your support. So not much to report in housekeeping corner this week. Other than that, you know, winter is pretty much here, which means I'll be off on my travels again for next few months. Season number 21, spent pissing around on the hunt for snow. This one's going to be for me. And it's fitting that I'll be starting this year's shenanigans with a trip to my old stomping ground of Maribel next week. My friends at Wavelength Magazine have kindly decided to host me there. So I'm looking forward to a few days getting the old legs back. Um, Might go and do the spot, might go to Salir, you know, all that got the wrong point definitely so yeah looking forward to that plus another exciting news I've just returned from a lovely weekend in Birmingham with my old mates Tim Warwood and Adam Gendel, where we recorded the very first looking sideways Christmas special That one was a really good laugh not least because we recorded it in a real radio studio in Birmingham with proper headphones a mixing desk three mics and all the rest of it. my God. That's the way forward. Um, sorry, Zoom, Mike, faithful companion. But if I can get that off the ground a bit more frequently, then you will be consigned to the dustbin, I'm afraid. Anyway, my very first official three-way conversation as myself and these two legends of uh, UK and European s- snowboarding had a rollicking two-hour conversation about life, snowboarding, Christmas, loads of other tat. We had a great time doing that one. I'll be releasing that one on Christmas Day So if you need something to soundtrack your uh, turkey basting session, you're going to be able to listen to that one. And uh, yeah, so I'll I'll give you a few more warnings about that, but Christmas Day for the release of that one, a la Adam Buxton, yet another podcast trope that I'm stealing. Anyway, that's it. Nice one for listening. I'll see you later. Sweet. (laughs)